Oh my God, there was a voice when I did that. I'm not used to that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's new. <laughs> hello. Uh, we're recording. This is uh, Ed Gallo. I'm joined by Sharam Raleigh-Darin. Um, say hello to the people. Hey, everyone. Hey. Uh, this is the Fight Tate MMA podcast. I'm glad to be back this week. I was on vacation uh, last week, and I was thinking about skipping out in this week, too, because I got sick right when I got back from vacation, but I'm good enough. I'm good enough. So, um, yeah, hello. Uh, I did not get to do the Aftermath podcast of UFC 264, which I'm sure was a bunch of fun, and the commentaries for UFC 264, which was a bunch of fun. So anything to share from those experiences with uh, Tuman? Uh, yeah, I mean, as fun as you'd expect watching Conor McGregor, you know, I mean, we said pretty much everything that there is to say, but Conor McGregor's yeah. like dying on him. Um, but the thing that you should gloat about is Gilbert Burns and Stephen Thompson, which you nailed pretty much to a T. That's right. Before I gloat about that, uh, if you want more reflections on Conor McGregor, uh, a Patreon exclusive podcast just came out with Tuman, um, Trey, Trayvon, and um, was it Hacks? Hacks, I think. Yeah. And Hacks. Oh, that's such a such a squad. Hacks. Uh, so you can go listen to that on our Patreon page. Only three dollars get access to all of our exclusive content, which there is a crazy amount of. But that just, just keeps getting better. Keeps getting better. It's a crazy deal. Um, we're gonna bump that price up someday. But <laughs> yeah, you should check that out if you want to hear more about Connor. I got nothing left to say about Connor. I think it's been said. He's had enough discussion. Uh, but yeah, Ilya Toporia killed Ryan Hall like we said he would. It was just as embarrassing as we thought it might be. Um, and now I'm okay with Ryan Hall winning fights now that it's, I feel like, you know, the meta has been adjusted. Everyone's like, okay, yeah. I get it now. His we ceiling's pretty silly. clear. They were being silly. Now they see they were being silly. And Ryan Hall, I think, knows he was being silly a little bit. But you know what? Toporia, as we were saying, he's the best prospect in the featherweight division, probably maybe the best prospect in the UFC. Um, so it's not like anyone could have done that to Ryan Hall, but they could have beat him in less impressive ways. Uh, <laughs> so maybe that'll happen next and maybe Hall. I don't know. I don't know what he's going to do, but I don't need to talk about that. But yeah, Gilbert Burns versus Stephen Thompson. Um, I very smartly pointed out that uh, Stephen Thompson, not so good of a cage wrestler. Uh, and despite his ring craft being pretty good, it's not like you can't just like get him near the cage and then, you know, hold him. And people are talking about like, oh, like taking him down with leg attacks and stuff like that. But if you can chain wrestle, if you can, uh, you know, put some attacks together, you can at least rack up some some control time against the cage, which isn't really winning. But if the, if he's not hitting you, um, it's better. <laughs> so Burns had a really smart pressure striking uh, strategy. Kept his cool, was very composed, didn't uh, sell out anything, didn't go crazy, except for the end of round one. That was a little, <laughs> a little rough. That but, was embarrassing, but... but overall, he did pretty much the gameplay. I thought he would shot, shot near the fence, and uh, drove him a little bit on his shots. Um, just you know, did what I thought he could do, and just honestly, the main part of that read was just having watched Burns a decent amount, knowing that he can, he's pretty good at extending wrestling sequences, and Thompson's most recent fight against Jeff Neal, he got grappled against the cage a lot. So I'm like, okay, he can do that. Um, obviously i thought that in between those moments it would be dangerous if burns was striking aggressively he'd get countered a lot but he was actually very smart so i uh, underestimated uh burns chances on the feet and i think i correctly estimated his chances and everything else and everyone else picked wonder boy so uh there you go i'm a genius so there's my gloating uh those are the only three fights i I cared about um there but do i have anything else no, let's just talk about other stuff. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> today's podcast is really just going to focus on uh, this upcoming UFC event, uh, Sanhagen versus Dillashaw, and the past UFC event, uh, Islam Makachev versus Tiago Moises, which those two 
headliners next to each other is really funny. Um, <laughs> yeah, got like the number one contender and the returning former champion. And you have uh, Islam Makachev versus a guy who was definitely unranked. And then they gave him a ranking. So it would be main event worthy. Uh, very silly. But Sharam, we, we did commentary together on Makachev and uh, Moises. So I know how you feel, but tell me how you feel. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, first of all, go pay us to watch the commentary, obviously. Uh, right. But yeah, watching it, I was it was pretty much a regulation fight for Islam Mahachev. Pressured him a bit more than I thought he would, but it's a lot more like, you know, Tiago Moises does not have ring craft whatsoever. Uh, it's been like one of his bigger flaws throughout his UFC career. Uh, he got cage wrestled by Dariush, I believe. He got pressured super easily by Michael Johnson, of all people. And like Johnson, he's fine at pressuring if he wants to, but, you know, Moises made him pressure and he got hitting the body a bunch. So uh, yeah, Mahachev just sort of walked him down, played with his hands, uh, shot when Moises bit on things. The wrestling was actually relatively interesting. I mean, Mahachev doing his normal stuff, Moises getting a takedown, which Ed called like seconds before it happened, <laughs> which was very nice. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think Mahachev is, well, we're going to get into the rankings soon enough, uh, but that was a win that's at least it's nominally meaningful. It's not like a complete pushover. But, you know, I'd like Wade who is when you're getting into, like, top 20, 30-ish. Uh, so, you know, fair enough. Solid performance. The kind of thing that Islam Mahachev was bound to do. Yeah. I felt like the, the performance was a tiny bit of a departure from Mahachev's normal style. Like, normally he's even more conservative than that. Um, so people were knocking him for not being aggressive enough, uh, not, like, ground and pounding enough, not, like, passing enough, not being, like, a ferocious enough. I'm like... That was actually one of his more aggressive performances uh, in recent memory. Uh, he he actually like channeled Khabib a little bit. Like his first takedown was a lift uh, on a single against the cage, which is classic Khabib, obviously. But he even went beyond, uh, you know, where Khabib usually just gets like a little lift uh, and then trips out the foot. Like with not, he really with only Poirier needs to get you, bunch, like, yeah. If you're watching the video version of this, he only really needs your foot to be up. He doesn't need you to be off the ground to take out the base, but he fully carried Taco uh, Moises, which I thought was funny. But yeah, he, uh, he he did a lot of stack passing and, and ground and pound from stack and uh, fought more like Khabib, honestly, than he normally does. His, his pressure is uh, a lot more. And people say smash uh, with Khabib a lot, but you know, in jujitsu, smash is usually tight, um, tight pressure. <laughs> you know, not you know, not giving them the space to like breathe. Standing whereas, over them, yeah, yeah. With with Khabib, it's he, yeah, he gives them space. He stands over them. He ground and pounds to make them, uh, you know, continue to move. So it's more like you know, drowning under volume and and you know, the barrage versus actually like smothering someone, which is more what Mahachev does. And that's I like both honestly. Like I, I know you know, hitting people is obviously more entertaining and passing actively is more entertaining and being active in general is more entertaining. But I, I don't dislike watching Kachev wrestle and grapple. Obviously I'm a wrestling and grappling guy, so it's up my alley, but, and I enjoy doing the commentary. You should definitely check out all of our cool observations from that. Um, but yeah, he bothers me so much on his feet. Like he's very conservative, um, too, too conservative, I would say to the point where Tiago Moises like wrestled fairly competitively with him for a while. Um, like it was one of the better efforts we've seen, like besides Sarukian essentially uh, to wrestle with him. Uh, yeah. He, uh, he actually did a decent job and you know, Moises's thing is being an all rounder. Um, I, I thought it was so interesting. Uh, in the, Cause you never, you don't hear as much about a guy normally as you do when they're a main eventer. Right. 
So like <laughs> yeah. pre pre fight, like you're getting you're getting all this new information about Tiago Moises, which I appreciated. You know, it's like I like to learn more. Um, you're hearing like what the, what's the word out of American Top Team? What are these? What are these? The coaches? What do they say about him? What do the training partners say about him? You know, like oh, he's a phenom. Like he's like this guy who learns super quickly. He's only 26. He's got all these skills. I was like, oh man, like I thought he was old for some reason. Like he's been a pro for nine years, and I watched him like fight Robert Watley for the LFA title or legacy title or RFA title, whatever it was at the time. I can't keep track of all these Mark Cuban organizations, but <clears throat> I watched him a while ago and I was like, remembered him being decently experienced at that point too. And now it's like a while later and he's had a, a handful of UFC fights. So I thought he was older, um, but they're still billing him as like this young phenom type. And like, he's basically been about this good for a few years now. So I don't yeah, really see him as like this rapidly developing guy, right? Yeah, he's getting to like young veteran territory where like mm-hmm. you're getting a bunch of really high level fights or at least, you know, guys who can do one thing at a really high level. Uh, he's fought now top five, I guess, Asama Hachev. He's fought top three, Benil Daryush. He's fought uh, Bobby Green, another guy of that mold. Um, yeah. Michael Johnson, who used to be good. But yeah, he, he's like, he's solid and you can really see him being solid, but all the like phenom talk, it's something that you generally expect from camps. That's like not always true. Yeah. And uh, here, I mean, I could, ge- I could genuinely see him giving a lot of fighters trouble in terms of like getting their game going if they're like real specialists or whatever, but it's not something where I see him winning high level fights super often. Yeah. It's an important distinction, like having skills versus having a game. Uh, yeah. that's something I think we talk about fairly, fairly often, but that's something MMA fans get confused about. Like, oh, he's great in the ground. He's got solid striking. He's good wrestler. He's in good shape. Uh, he's fairly physical. Like all, all that should come together to be a good fighter. Right. Um, and that's kind of the ATT mold. Um, it's funny that this is like, this is our guy that we got super young and he's our, our phenom, our ATT guy. Like Rory was the tri-star guy. Uh, like he's been tri-star the whole time and made the whole time. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I think that's Tiago Moises for ATT. And to that point, he is like the embodiment of ATT where he is very skilled in a lot of different areas, not like super skilled, but like, you know, impressively well-rounded, Competent, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. The comp, like he's a professional fighter for sure. Um, but it's just like, he doesn't really have ring craft, like doesn't really have a clear direction. He tries to push fights in, doesn't take initiative. Isn't I mean, he, he can hit, um, he can be dangerous just by virtue of putting together smart combinations and like doing things that make sense on the feet. But his his whole game is basically just to exist in whatever phase the fight is in. And, and you know, it's at that level of MMA, I think you really need to have an idea of how you're going to maximize your advantages if you have them. And his idea was just to fight Islam Makachev, it seemed like. And he's like, I will wrestle with him and I will grapple with him and I will just be competitive with him. I'll try to take him down and like, you can find successes in that, but it's not a sustained game plan. And with someone like that, where they have such an area of strength, you need to fight to take that away or minimize it or counter it. Something, you know, something that's specific to them. And I didn't see that. Um, and we, we were getting mad about it um, <laughs> uh, during the commentary because we talked about not having ring craft. Like you don't even have to go to have a good ring craft, but like if you are worried or you should be worried in this case about someone wrestling you against the cage for a long time and taking time away from you and grinding you out and wearing you down and putting you in bad positions. You don't want to be near the cage, right? A lot of people understand that. Everyone understands that. Cause I remember with Khabib, everyone was saying it, don't, don't end up with your back on the cage and you should be, you'll have a better chance. Like, yes. 
how is that accomplished? And I've seen many, many fighters say that, oh, they're going to back me up, but I'm going to have good ring craft off the back foot and I'm going to circle well and I'm going to get, I'm going to escape and I'm going to move laterally and I'm going to, he's not going to be able to put me against the cage. I'm like, sure. Theoretically, that could work. Um, Edson Barboza did pivot away from the cage that one time and Khabib ran into it and he was like that proof of concept. Um, you can, you can do that. But most MMA fighters don't have that kind of game, right? How many fighters would you expect to be able to do that? Like Prime Eddie Alvarez? Um, Jose Aldo. Aldo, um, yeah. I mean, <laughs> even, it's just... even still with Aldo, he's not giving up all that space first. It's like you exactly. have to force him backwards to get him to boot back at all, right? Yeah, I mean, it's the sort of thing where Aldo isn't going to actively pressure, but he's going to hold his ground a lot more than someone like, you know, uh, Edson Barboza is the best example for him. Uh, Gaethje in the Khabib fight. Like, you could, I think there are fighters who would outfight against wrestlers but they'd never be like super they wouldn't give up space the way Tiago Moises did like there were points yeah. in the Mahachev fight they look like someone fighting Luke Rockhold where like he'd lunge <laughs> forward and into check hook somehow by Islam Mahachev it was it was wild and uh I think that's the thing with this uh with Tiago Moises is like he's if he has an advantage anywhere against anyone you're never going to see it unless they force it on him. Yeah. And it's annoying to see because like you can really see he's solid in a lot of areas. And like Alexander Hernandez was just like, he looked completely incompetent by the end of that fight because Hernandez just gave him the sort of fight that he wanted. But after like he, he even in the, even in the Mahacha fight, he started holding his ground a little bit more later in the fight. It's just, he had no idea what he was doing early and it's very yeah. annoying to see. Yeah. So those are your options. Either be be harder to pressure. If you don't want to be on the cage, be harder to pressure. Don't give them all that space and try to hit some maneuver when you're almost there. That's so much lower percentage. You're giving yourself such smaller you know, margin for error. So either do that or be the one pressuring. And the obvious caveat when you're the one pressuring is like, do I have to move forward? Yes, you have to move forward. You don't have to crash forward like an idiot. You definitely should move forward a little bit if you're pressuring, you know, pressure with your feet, pressure with feints. If they try to circle, hit a round attack, you know, you know, jab, do do stuff. Um, but you know, even so, even if you think though that I could do some measured pressuring, if they move forward, do I move backwards? Do we collide? I don't want to grapple with them. Okay. But you understand that <laughs> this guy trains at the gym where their whole thing is grappling people against the cage. So you think you might do better, not against the cage. Uh, typically that's true with Makachev. I actually can see this as being a more valid concern because he is so good upper body and he is good in clinch situations and he is good in space. Um, and I actually think he might do better uh, having taken someone down open space. But in general, I think that's a, a fear that's kind of unfounded. Um, Gaethje versus Khabib is the worst one because uh, clearly didn't have it in him to, to do well on the back foot in that fight. He, he fell to pieces. Um, but when they collided with space, when the cage wasn't there, Gaethje actually pulled him off his leg and looked strong and good in the clinch with him. So, like, think about that. If he pressured and was, like, leading to the body like he did against Ferguson, they could collide a bunch. But that's good. You know, like you, that's yeah. good for two reasons. One, because it's better, you're better there defensively than you are against the cage or in some other unideal situation that you're not creating. Um, and two, that's hard for both of you. And there isn't your strategy to get this guy tired trying to wrestle you. Um, 
that's perfect. So every time I talk about Raincraft and Grapplers, like I go back to this whole Gechi Habib conversation and I made sure to point out what good back, back foot footwork would be like in this kind of situation. Because I, I've said a few times that fighting off the back foot is harder in MMA. And Tuman's always like, not necessarily, because Tuman like, you know, watches boxing and like knows about actual striking. He's like, no, that, that shouldn't be true. It shouldn't be true. But just within the abilities that we've seen from MMA fighters, it is very hard for them. <laughs> so uh, that, that's why I say that. Um, so Moises failed in a, in a few different ways. I don't think he would have beat Mohachev with any like super game plan, but he could have done so much better. Just, you know, hit his body, like just put a little work on him. Just hold center because he's not going to pressure super aggressively. You have a lot of time to work before that happens. Um, on the feet, did you did you catch any reads for Makachev's strengths, weaknesses? Uh, not really. I mean, a lot of it's just, you know, southpaw kicking. I liked how he built off the hand fight. Uh, a lot of what uh, Moises does is high guardy. And uh, Demir Smugulov did some similar thing to like level changing threats where he started like really pelting his body with the straight. Here, Mahachev just sort of played with his hands, uh, fainted and then shot underneath to get to the hips. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I agree with all that wrestling stuff. I think even we talked about Wonderboy versus Burns. Even that's not a bad example because yeah. Wonderboy is one of the better outfighters in the sport uh, for all we you know bag on him and on a bunch of different contexts. Um, he, he's genuinely very good at that sort of thing. Uh, he can, you know, get guys stepping in one direction and escape out the other. He's very, very aware of where he's in the cage and both the big cage and the small. And that's fairly rare. But Gilbert Burns was able to just shove him physically back to the fence. And even when, when Wonderboy had like solid takedown defense, he was like limp legging out. Gilbert just hung on him. He like got to his back and he started like just tripping him against the fence. Like a, a lot of things can go wrong when you leave yourself close to the fence as an mm -hmm. outfighter. And as good as Wonderboy is, even he couldn't get away from that. And Tiago Moises, he's not even an outfighter. He just doesn't care. It's just not something that goes through his mind. So I think, Pretty much all of us expected Moises to run into this specific problem watching all of his previous fights, but it was still jarring to see. Mm -hmm. uh, Mahachev, for his part, looked about like himself, um, which, I mean, is that a claim to a top five spot? Do you tell me? Probably not, but I guess it begs the question, what, what do the rankings represent? <laughs> are they who are the best five fighters in the division? Are they here? Are the standings based on results against each other in the field? Um, typically, from what I've seen, I don't study the rankings, but just, you know, from what I've seen over the years, I've been watching MMA for 11 years now. And from what I've seen, typically, it is results based. It's to how does everyone stack up against each other based on their semi-recent wins and losses you know last five six fights let's say um usually that's how it's done pretty often there are some clear shenanigans um with the ufc manipulating the rankings now if anyone wants to interject and say oh but the rankings are made up by an independent panel uh there's an article there might be multiple articles about how those independent rankers are influenced by the UFC to make certain. So it's not, it's not independent. Independent is a lie. Uh, the UFC influences the rankings very directly and there's basically no system of accountability. like to no. make them do what their rankers are saying. Cause they publish the results. 
the UFC publishes the results. So they can put whatever they want, wherever they want. And they do very often. Um, like, do you think everyone voted to have Shmaev be like top 10 or whatever it was? Like, wasn't he, he was higher than that, wasn't he? How high was Shmaev that one time? Well, Shmaev was fighting up to number three. I think he was like number 15 at one point, which is also mm-hmm. kind of crazy because he was like, because yeah, one beat Reese McKee, McKee and John McKee. Phillips. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I mean, that's the weird thing is that a lot of t- people have become generally aware that the championships are like promotional tools more than anything else. Yeah. Like the belt can just go on any fight the UFC wants pretty much. Like there's really no reason for the UFC to do it for the best fights other than we want to do it. And the rankings, it's pretty much the same thing. I think it was for um, Emmett Burgos where the article came out and the guy posted the notes. It's like, oh, if Emmett loses, drop him because oh, yeah. Bryce Mitchell is on a good streak. If Burgos loses, drop him because Bryce Mitchell's on a good streak. It's they like, try to tell him what to do, yeah. <laughs> you want Bryce Mitchell in there. Let's just be honest. But yeah, that's the weird thing is you can even see with this fight, Tiago Moises, as soon as the fight was announced, got to like number 14. Mm-hmm. And you're like, okay, like Alexander Hernandez, he's a fine win. He's like a, a decent athlete and he hits hard and whatever, but I don't think anyone else beating Alexander Hernandez would have made it in there. Like for context, like previous guys who went on big streaks, I don't think Francisco Trinaldo broke like number 10 with an eight win streak over better competition, including mm-hmm. Paul Felder. So it, it's incredibly arbitrary. And I think the fact that Islam Mahacho is like top five now, I, I agree that it tends to be based on standings. And I think the, the best way to illustrate that is with former champions because Tyron Woodley, right after the Kamaru Usman loss, he was number one for an entire year. Yeah. And if you consider that a contendership cue, that would mean that Tyron Woodley was the next guy in line for Kamaru Usman for yeah. that year, which that doesn't make any Like, even if you consider it like someone lower is going to get it, if that guy pulls out, how many spots would you have to go for Tyron Woodley to be the guy to get the call? You have to go like 10, 15, 20. Because no one cares about Kamaru Usman versus Tyron Woodley too, other than those of us who really dislike Tyron Woodley. So, yeah, it's very clearly a standings thing. And in that sense, like something like Gregor Gillespie versus CDF was probably a better win. Uh, RDA versus Felder, probably a better win. I mean, I can see the caveat to that being Felder on week's notice. But even that, like, it's a, I would consider it a better win, especially with RDA's previous lightweight um, wins. So it's weird. And I understand why they're doing it, but it doesn't make it less weird. Yeah. So digging into the actual justifications of, you know, Mahacha's ranking. So take a look at his win streak. So people will say, uh, was Armin Sarukian ever ranked? I think he's ranked now. Okay. So Armin Sarukian, for example, his wins of note in his current streak. First of all, he didn't have any. (laughs) when Makasha beat him so that's that's not how that works like it's he didn't that the you know it's like yeah. it's it's not because not is, is good it's supposed to be that Sirkin had a place in the standings then he used that as you know a boost um he had no place in the standings so it's not that's not how it's supposed to work it's supposed to be you know anyway but even if you just think he's good and you're like look at his current form now that's how much he's worth how much he's worth is OAM, who is no longer in the UFC. That was his third loss in a row. However, two of those were Burns and Sarukian, but the other one was Hernandez. So, okay. Uh, so this guy, uh, no, OAM is actually pretty good. I like him. Yeah. So that's a, that's a pretty solid win. Um, and then Matt Frivola is his recent win, which no. Um, 
and then Davi Hamosh, and that's also a win that Islam Makhachev has. And you're like, okay, like Davi Hamosh, that's like a, a good win, right? It's like, is it? Is it? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Davi Hamosh <laughs> has beat only uh, bad fighters. And uh, Austin Hubbard, who I don't want to call bad. I, I don't mind him. Um, but, you know, if, if you follow the, the, if you go down the rabbit hole of like, why is this guy considered go, oh, he beat people who were bad. Um, and like, it says, no, there's no fighters of significance in any of this loop all of these fighters that go through Makachev for his for his streak aren't really fighters that would speak relevantly at all to the people who are in the rankings like it's supposed to work that you have your top 15 and maybe like the lower five are the people that are streaking right now that you think are are climbing above all the other unranked people that makes sense I'm not opposed to Makachev being ranked I think he he should be ranked. I think nine yeah. might have been a little high, but I think that was fine before. Um, but then he didn't fight anyone above or near him, and we already discussed that Moises was only in the rankings for this fight. They put him in there specifically because he was in this fight. He didn't. He wasn't anywhere near the rankings. He had just lost a round to Michael Johnson. He didn't. He's he was on a win streak but it was not a good one. And he had lost Demiris Magulov before that. And Demiris Magulov hasn't lost since that happened. In fact, he's won. Yeah. That happened. So why isn't Demiris Magulov ranked? <laughs> like he should be <laughs> above him, above him. Right. So it was obviously artificial. So you have Moises, you have Davi Hamos, you have Sarukian, um, you have Drew Dober, who I think was briefly ranked. Yeah, he was. Yeah. I think that's probably Assam's best win in a classical sense at this point. Mm-hmm. It's just like, if you go into like, Okay, a lot of people don't do this, but if you go into like how easy of an opponent Drew Dober was supposed to be for Islam Mahachev, unfortunately, it's very easy because Drew Dober has been fairly not a grapplable. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, that's a consideration, if, but I mean, I think most people would consider that more of like a tiebreaker than anything. Like Drew Dober, that's a solid win for Lightweight. Uh, he's like top 20 to top 15, I'd say. We gave Brad Riddell a solid fight, yeah. knocked out Nasrat, gave Daryush a tough fight. So like, that's a good win. And I'd say that's his best win, but I'm still not sure that remotely justifies a top five ranking no it's tough no it's tough it justifies a top 15 ranking if you look at islam's streak and the people he beat i totally am on board with him being near the top 10 like i think his i think his ranking was fine but beating tiago moises means absolutely nothing more than his current streak already meant that's not a better opponent than anyone he's already beat in fact it's probably a worse opponent than people he's already beat that's not the best win on his streak so you might want to bring up examples of like peter yon fighting uriah faber before his title shot when rivera was really his number one contender win um that's the difference it's like there was there was a fight that still justified a high spot in the rankings and like Faber wasn't the actual fight. This isn't like that. It's like, yeah, <laughs> there, there, there still was never that big jump into the higher ranked people. So, in terms of the standings and like beating people to like how it normally works, no, that the, him being ranked number five now doesn't make any sense. How do you feel about his ranking relative to just like goodness with everyone else in, in the rankings? Because that's a better a better argument, right? Yeah, it definitely is. I think the lightweight rankings are generally kind of screwed up, like even in that sense. But yeah, I mean, I think Islam Mahachev is 
even tough for some guys above him, like Dustin Poirier is the obvious one where you could easily see Poirier just kind of screwing up several times. And <laughs> up rounds. Uh, but it's also the sort of thing where I can see him losing the guys ranked below. Uh, we'll talk about Mateusz Gamrot later. That's an interesting fight. Um, Someone like Demiris Magulov, that's another interesting fight. I mean, there, there are a bunch of fights for, for Islam that I'm not sure I'd necessarily favor him in, uh, given that he's at the top five spot. Uh, it's like, so one another example I've seen floating around is like Charles Oliveira, who had like a bunch of low-ranked wins and then apparently jumped up to top five. But mm-hmm. there's the Kevin Lee win, which Islam Mahachev doesn't really have a parallel for. Uh, I mean, when Kevin Lee versus Islam Mahachev was in the talks, I thought Kevin Lee could have done fairly well in that fight. Um might have gassed out late, but it's still a fight that's worth watching, I think, and yeah. significantly better than all of um, <laughs> Islam's opponents so far. Like, it isn't particularly close, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, I think by goodness, he's definitely top 10. Uh, top five, it's still somewhat questionable. Pretty much everyone above him, I think, would give him a good deal of trouble in at least one area. Uh, mm-hmm. Chandler's tricky for him. Daryush probably tricky for him. Oliveira seems tricky for him. I mean, I could like it's Poirier and Gaethje who you could really be like these guys are super wrestlable. But even there, there are some obstacles that he'd have to cross. Um, and honestly, Gillespie's kind of done more to beat like a really legit grappler than Islam's done so far. Like I know Tiago yeah. Moises was being touted as like this, you know, black belt phenom dude. Uh, he was he was a solid black belt, I think. Like he grappled with some good. Uh, grapplers. He didn't get tapped out by Benil Daryush, for instance, but CDF is a lot better at dealing with wrestlers than Tiago Moises. So, yeah, I think by goodness, it's less egregious than by resume, but it's still kind of egregious. Yeah, it's, it's weird because he hasn't fought any of them. So how, how do you really know um, until he's fought anyone that's stylistically challenging? And it's funny, but one with Charles Oliveira, like he did, he did fight all, a lot of the top basically all of the top guys he didn't beat them but he did fight them all um so he at least knew where he stood and then he went on a big win streak and you say okay back back to the top guys let's see what you got um makes more sense but uh yeah with makachev it's like i think my my the reason i to have an issue with it is because it's obviously manipulative um and his matchmaking is like it used to be reasonable that's the thing it's like he was actually not getting easy stylistic matchups in the beginning of his career. Um, like Adriano Martins is actually a very tough second fight. Like that guy has a good resume and it was very skilled and dangerous in a lot of different areas. Like no one really knows who that is, um, but that's actually a very difficult fight. And he got knocked out obviously, but um, that's okay. Actually, that's fine. I'm not going to use that against him. Yeah. Um, and then Chris Wade, I mean, not good, but it's, it's another wrestler. It's another wrestler and grappler. So you're giving him, people that could challenge him stylistically and match him in the area that he's good. Uh, Nick Lentz is a wrestler and grappler. Clayson Tebow is a wrestler and grappler. Cajun Johnson. That was weird that he went from those guys to Cajun Johnson. I'll be honest. And then Sarukian, I don't think they knew they were doing that to him. Yeah. I think that was an accident. Sarukian was a debut. <laughs> I mean, any in Cajun Johnson, like he should have beaten Houston Havilov. So that's something where I could really be like, okay, maybe this is a fight that makes sense. But it also seemed like they were punishing Cajun Johnson more than giving, um, Mahach have a step up because I think that was like Johnson's last fight in his contract or something. And he had like real disputes with the UFC. So like, Hey, Mahach take this guy out. So, I mean, I yeah. get it. Even if it's not like a competitive uh, motivation, it's like an actual motivation after that. It's just been kind of silly. Yeah. So it's his entire UFC resume is grapplers that he is better than 
and Drew Dober, who is not at all a grappler. So after you know five demonstrations of him being able to outgrapple this level of guy, they gave him another one. So like this, and it's not like Moises had proven to be a level higher as a grappler than any of those guys he fought before because Moises got wrestled and grappled by Ismagulov and Dariush and maybe other people in those fights. I don't want to rewatch them, but that's that's just the point. It's like it's clearly protective matchmaking. There are a ton of guys above him, and then everyone's saying they're ducking him. They're not accepting the fights. There's There's no evidence of that. There's no proof of that. You're just, that's what they're saying. But do you believe that? I don't believe that. Um, why would they be scared of him? Um, there's all this hype. Like it'd be good. To, it would be beneficial to fight him. And now he's ranked number five. So they better be want to fight him, but we'll see what happens. I don't want to whine about it anymore, but it's just, it's very silly. Um, it makes me want to not like him. It makes me want him to get knocked out, but I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to go there. I'm going to be it, depending on who he fights. Because I'm probably going to end up rooting against him in his next fight because he's probably going to end up fighting someone I like just because I like the people in the upper rankings of lightweight. Um, except if he fights Dan Hooker, then I won't. <laughs> I won't root for Dan Hooker because that's a futile uh, effort. There's no way that uh, I don't think Dan Hooker's going to beat him. Yeah, I mean, I think the only way that you could reasonably say is somehow Chez being ducked is in the same capacity that like basically everyone underneath the top 10 is being ducked or underneath the top five is being ducked, which is that the one through five have no incentive to fight yeah. anyone below. Yeah. Like it's the sort of thing where I spent a lot of time whining about why the featherweight rankings were so awful and trash. And they kind of still are like Calvin Cater's made it in because the beat got pulled. But other than that, it's been like, pretty stagnant for a long time. Lightweight's kind of worse at this point, like low key where they're like two guys in the entire top five with really relevant high level wins. Uh, and if you want to be generous, you can give like Darius CDF, but also CDF is like looking kind of worn yeah, at yeah. this point. Like that's a fine win. It's not a great win. When um, continue, continues to age worse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like you have Justin Gaethje, whose wins have all aged kind of badly. Uh, you have Darius, you have Mahachev who has wins that were never good enough to age badly. Um <laughs> Like Michael Chandler has Dan Hooker, which is, it hasn't aged, but it's bound to age badly. Like mm -hmm. it's a weird division. And I think there are ways for it to get like, at least look better with the same level of competition. If like more people fought other people, but it isn't Mahachev being ducked any more than anyone else. I think it's Mugulov's probably ducked more because he's yeah. better and cool. What's going to happen is that the next, like in a couple of years, the next echelon of top lightweights, they're going to have really good resumes because they're all going to have fought each other. And yeah. they're all really good um, coming up right now. So once like the Ismagulovs and Fazivs and all, all those gentlemen uh, and Gamrot too, once yeah. he gets in there, uh, once they all start fighting each other, I think it's going to be a, a freaking mess. Um, but that I'm, I'm excited. There's a lot of talent, lightweight, a lot of good fighters. It's probably first or second best division still, just the way it's been match made, the way that it's, it's been developed, uh, just in terms of the fights themselves, has been super weird, and it may, it does it does them a disservice, um, but. Yeah, I mean, I'm glad to have Makachev in the mix because I like the division becoming more grapply uh, and just more interesting in general, but it is frustrating. Um, other things on that card, we just said Gamrot. Uh, Gamrot took Jeremy Stevens down with a single immediately, um, and it was cool. And uh, Stevens did not defend it well at all. He did not use his hands, which you should do that. If you're <laughs> Kelvin Gastelum school of takedown defense. Yeah. He, uh, he just kind of thought he could limp leg out just 
by using his leg and not like popping out. Yeah. Yeah. It was dumb. Um, and then got taken down and he went, uh, Kimura, uh, proud from bottom, which apparently he does a lot. I don't, I haven't studied Jeremy Stevens grappling. Um, if it Shrem says he does that a lot. And yeah, then, I remember uh, at least in Moikano yeah. where he like spent a whole, not a whole round, but like he got taken down on the first and just held on to a Kimura for the whole thing. Mm. So, yeah. So I'm sure that a uh, Gamera probably would have known to do that counter already, but if he was watching any film, he probably would like, Oh, I know what to do there. Um, and then he did it and it worked really well. And he was clearly super in control as soon as he got that Gamora grip because he sat on his head and made a bunch of adjustments before he finished it and looked very at ease. But yeah, Gamera had a cool uh, stand-up performance in his fight before this. And his debut was awesome in many different respects. Uh, Gurong Kutate Ladze is interesting just because he's more of a like, he's well-rounded and he's good, but he's a striker. Um, he's just someone that he's, I mean, he fights out of the caucuses. All those people can basically do it all. So they're, they're tough for grapplers specifically because they can grapple confidently and they can give you a test on the feet. So if you're not as good of a striker as this guy who can grapple with you, then you might lose, um, which is, you know, why the Khabib Ariosa frust- era was so frustrating and why we were really fascinated with all these lightweights in ACA because uh, they were all like that. Um, they're all really yeah. interesting strikers. Uh, and dangerous strikers or just good strikers that could grapple and wrestle really well, um, even if they weren't specifically wrestlers and grapplers. So it was like, oh, oh my God, I wish that he was fighting these guys instead of these American styled guard people. pullers. Yeah, and guard <laughs> pullers, Dustin Poirier, guillotine pulling punk. Uh, <laughs> that, that's why um, I lost my train of thought. But yeah, Gamrot's cool. Katata Ladze is cool. Um, but yeah, I want Gamrot in the rankings. I want him fighting the top guys. The. Uh, the upcoming surge of uh i was gonna name multiple guys but really it's just gillespie and gamera i want them to to get up there and the problem is those guys versus each other and versus islam makachev is so good but i want them just to eat all of the strikers i want the strikers to be eliminated from the division or you know prove that they that they can't just send strikers after them because everyone's like People aren't doing it with Poirier as much, which I think they should be. I think they should be doing it more than they are with Gaethje, actually. Um, <laughs> you could just throw a wrestler at him and he'll lose. Um, that's actually more of a concern with Poirier, honestly, just because of his yeah. craft and positioning and stuff like that. Gaethje's harder to pressure um, than Poirier is, and that automatically makes him... And he's a better wrestler. Um, so that automatically makes him a tougher matchup for those guys and just the way he fights generally. Um, but those two have huge targets on their back in my mind right now because they are surrounded by grapplers and the champion is a grappler so it's going to be an interesting few months or year or however long it takes to see this all play out but i'm i'm there i'm on the edge of my seat honestly because i can't wait uh to find out if we are going to make fun of these guys or if we are going to uh have our faith restored a little bit and it'll definitely depend on what the fights look like but it's either going to be giving us an even greater appreciation for Khabib or it's going to be like these guys made adjustments because of Khabib and then even more appreciation because he shifted the meta in a direction that we can appreciate. Right. Yeah. I mean, we've already seen someone like Poirier, put like offensive wrestling yeah. into, or at least some of those concepts, the leg ride he had on hooker and like beating McGregor. Beating the the crap the out of Goner, yeah. <laughs> that was amazing. But yeah, I mean, if I, if I could see like actual defensive adjustments from Poirier, it'd be more impressive. Uh, he didn't seem to do it specifically for the hooker fight whatsoever. Uh, you know, in terms of defensive wrestling, he, he didn't try, but yeah, it'd be interesting. I think like there's a 
decent chance Poirier just like bangs out a wrestler. Someone like Oliveira just like, you know, doesn't get to the wrestling as quickly. Yeah, as stands a little strike. too long. <laughs> yeah, just gets shifted upon. That, that's very possible. But then it wouldn't really be anything like useful information in that regard either way. So, yeah, I mean, I'd like to see the grapplers do well. Um, they're like at least someone like Gaethje. I think he can make enough adjustments that it can be reasonably hard for a wrestler to beat, like even over the distance in a fight where they shoot a lot. It's just I, I need to see it before I believe it. Yeah. Speaking of things that we saw that were good, uh, Billy Quarantillo versus uh, Gabriel Benitez Mowgli. How do you like that? That was amazing. I liked it a lot. I mean, mm-hmm. um, Quarantillo, I don't think he has a particularly high ceiling just because we've seen him get boxed on the back foot and clinched up by Gavin Tucker. Uh, and his game is like incredibly attribute centric. Like it's like watching Max Holloway on crack, basically. It's <laughs> it's the worst. Uh, it makes you very, very concerned for him. Like not in terms of like actual technique or anything, but in terms of like, this guy's getting hit very, very hard in every fight. And he kind of, it's very concerning, but it's a lot of fun. Um, he has some decent ideas in terms of striking. It was like weeding out on his rear hand to set up takedowns and like hit a left hook. Uh, the stoppage was actually super weird. I mean, Gabriel Benitez, he had some decent ideas later in the fight. He started like hitting Quarantillo's body to like slow yeah. him down a bit. And uh, he, he's generally a really big hitter for uh, for lightweight. I think it's lightweight, right? Featherweight. Yeah, featherweight. Yeah, <laughs> but it, he's a big hitter for his weight class. He's a decent mechanical puncher, and it it's generally tough to walk him down. I don't think he's like he hurt Sadiq Yusuf early. Um, it, it's tough to dominate him the way that Billy Porantillo did. Uh, but a lot of it was just the grappling. He got to his takedown smartly and just kind of beat him up. And the end of the fight, it was a weird stoppage, but that fight was long over. So yeah, yeah, uh, but yeah. Billy Q really, really a good win condition pursuer. He knows yeah. exactly how he wins fights and he gets right after it and he has no fear, giant balls. So appreciate that. And he's a, a noodle man, which is always interesting to see. And Benitez, uh, this has decent stand-up fundamentals and good weapons and is also very aggressive. And I like that. Um, so that was an awesome fight and they both beat the crap out of each other. Um, that's not always like what I like to see, but they were both being a crap out of each other in ways that like, this is my way to win the fight. I'm going to beat the crap out of you. And they both went for it. And then one person came out on top and that's uh, all you can really ask for out of either of them. So I appreciated them both doing their best, I guess is how I'm saying that, which is why throw back to why we hate Kevin Holland, um, <laughs> not trying his best uh, on the prelims, nothing huge, but uh, Amanda Lemos knocked out uh, the scarfold lady in 30 seconds. And that was awesome. She's a big hitter at straw weight. Uh, that was something that excited me about like Marina Rodriguez. Um, she might be a bigger hitter than yeah rodriguez, rodriguez does a lot of like clinchy attritionally stuff lemos mm-hmm. just killed her she's banging yeah and yeah. like i i don't remember the fight well enough to know whether it's mechanics or just that she's really heavy-handed or heavy-hipped or whatever it is but uh cool very cool i'm not gonna look into her record at all right now just to see what her prospects are like in the division just just do it Good just send her send her in there she can hit hard <laughs> just throw her in there um don't give her carlo esparza uh, and then uh Sergey Morozov versus Khalid Taha. Uh, Morozov is very similar to Askara Askarov, but I think he's actually a little more fluid. Uh, and I don't know, bigger. He's a weight class up, but he does essentially the same thing. It's like a very normal boxing centric approach. Has you know decent fundamentals in that regard. Gets to good grappling positions. Uh, is pretty patient transitioning from like singles to body locks to his finishes. Great grappler. Um, just. He's, he's really solid. He's really good. Um, 
So he's not going to you know, blow the doors off anybody. And when he fights a more athletic, you know, varied grappler of similar talents like Umar Nurmagomedov who beat him, um, then it's an issue. But I don't know. I think he can actually go pretty far, which makes me think that uh, Umar Nurmagomedov is actually in a pretty good place. I liked I liked his performance in that fight. I was high on him then, but uh, that speaks well to his prospects. And um, only other thing I wanted to talk about is uh, Figueredo's brother lost. Um, he looked pretty decent in, in certain aspects, but he uh, he kind of fights like Izzy, where <laughs> 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 he relies a lot on like backstepping uh, counters and, you know, straight kicking and a lot of like, um, outside, you know, lateral movie ring craft and, uh, Malcolm Gordon was having trouble with it and he was getting grappled a bit. Uh, Figueredo is actually a pretty good grappler. Um, definitely better than Izzy. Um, but, <laughs> um, Malcolm Gordon is like a solid, decently well-rounded guy, I guess. Um, I think he's run into some some decent competition, if I recall correctly. Yeah, it's been Amir Al-Bazi and uh, Shumaderji. The, the big issue mm. with Malcolm Gordon has mm. generally been, like, <laughs> fragility. He has, like, uh, a lot of people that I've talked to said he has one of the worst chins in the sport, okay. which is unfortunate because, like, he seems okay. Yeah, he's not bad at, Great, at skills. Yeah. He's got the skills, um, and he seems, like, in good shape, like an athlete. Um, but, yeah, he, he just did normal stuff to figure it out like he was doubling up on his punches just like doing things to exploit the way that figueredo was defending and he has made the most of his opportunities and uh i think figueredo did something stupid and ended up on his back through a flying knee too close or yeah Yeah. he 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 pulled guard essentially um and gordon uh, took it from him so i was like all right good for you man Uh, i i celebrate all uh smart performances especially when you're like disadvantaged in in however many ways uh but yeah that was cool that was a cool card uh, Misha Tate also came back. I thought she looked essentially the same um, as she does, but physically she looked different. She looked uh, more lean, but uh, women's Benamite is really uninteresting. So I, that doesn't excite me that she's back at all, but good for her, I guess. <laughs> yeah. I feel like someone who hadn't already lost to Nunez, I'd be like, okay, but it, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think that's enough on that card. Uh, there yeah. really wasn't as much to say as we've actually said. Because we're, like, we're very entertaining people. But the next card's actually a lot more fun. Um, Corey Sanhagen versus TJ Dillashaw. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's start with that one. That one's a great fight. Uh, I think there are a lot of reasons to think that it might depend on the wrestling dynamics. So what do you see there, Ed? Yeah, that was my my first instinct when, when this fight got announced, when it was even discussed. Um, just, I mean, assessing Sanhagen's flaws. <laughs> I would say a, a pretty clear one would be his wrestling defense. Now, he's not a void. He's not a void when it comes to wrestling defense. People are, are kind of exaggerating. Coast to coast, Tim's like, can Corey Sandhagen stop a freaking takedown? Like, you shut up. You don't know what you're talking about. Like, you don't get to say that. Um, you're approaching a good point, but you don't know enough to make that a good point. So you stop that. Um, Tim, our mortal enemy, uh, who proudly announced his prediction that someone from the earth would be the next (laughs) ufc champion Uh, good job (laughs) uh but yeah it's like people exaggerate uh honestly sanhagen's issue is more so that he doesn't want to defend in normal ways (laughs) he doesn't want to fight grips and like do you know slap a wizard on and you know pull like honestly takedown defense can be pretty uh tedious it can be annoying and it's a pain in the ass and you don't want to do it the right the things that you need to do sometimes like everyone wants to be aldo right and well the people that know what aldo does 
one to Vialda where they, you know, just post and limp leg out and super easy. I'm out of here. You can only try to single me and I know how to get out of singles really fast. Um, that's the dream, right? Or you shoot a double on me and I sprawl in space and my hips are back and I push off on you and I'm back on my feet. That's what people in MMA gyms train. Um, everyone's like, I'm working on my takedown defense and it's the other person shooting a double on them from space and they sprawl and then they start over. I'm like, that will almost never happen. That <laughs> is a very unrealistic scenario um, if you're fighting anyone decent. But I, I do see people do that sometimes in fights, so I guess it's valid. But yeah, anyway, takedown defense is annoying and Corey Sandhagen likes to do cool stuff. Um, so he wants to grandy and he wants to pass legs and he wants to reverse you and he wants to hit you know sweeps and counters and all sorts of jazz like that and you know that could work if you're really good at that stuff um but he's not good enough (laughs) at that stuff uh for it to work against certain people um sterling that's not really what happened um aljo actually just did something cool yeah Yeah, he cage wrestled him and he was punching this underhook really far across um while pulling the wrist on the other side that was neat that was neato he was pulling the wrist and punching him over so he had he was basically gonna be on his back um because he was pushing him over that way and pulling him so his back would be down um and then sandhagen said nope nope and he bailed on it and he went to rear standing to try to actually try to fight the hands and break off in a normal way because he didn't want to be flat in his back Fair enough. It was part of a symptom of a larger problem that he likes to default to turning his back and trying to do something like fight in the hands or Granby or whatever. Um, there are a lot of people in MMA now that are good from rear standing, either taking the back or returning or putting a ride on you. There are more and more of them, so you should not get used to doing that. Uh, the champion, Peter Yan, is not forgiving in that position uh, against Aljamain Sterling. We saw that. Um, so he has some habits uh, in terms of takedown defense that are not conducive to fighting like really good wrestlers. Um, Asunsao is somebody who I think is a good wrestler, but not in a controlling manner. Yeah. He's a good grappler and it's- he's got good takedowns, but I don't think he's necessarily a good mat wrestler. Yeah, there were a lot of positions. Like I remember in the Sanhagen fight specifically, there was the same like rear standing thing where he got there off like a double entry, for instance, and he just like kind of pulled him back and Sanhagen just mm. sat down on him, mm. um, which is like, it looked suspect. I don't know enough about wrestling to say what part of it was suspect, but it looked very suspect to me. But like, you know, Sanhagen held his own in the scrambles, which is fine. The scrambles in that fight were wild, by the way. They were all yeah. very, very good, which like it substantiates that Sanhagen can do this to a, like fighters who... A, aren't amazing grapplers, and B, aren't, like, you know, like, don't have kind of physical limits the way Sun Tso tends to, especially with, like, when you're super lanky and you can just, like, have a post wherever you want. It, it's, yeah. it's hard to grapple you. But, yeah, Aljamain Sterling kind of showed that there's a, a clear process in the way that you can beat Sanhagen, like, as a wrestler, uh, especially with the way that he tends to concede the ring craft a little bit more than you'd like. Um Guys who put Sanhagen on the back foot, guys like Lineker, uh, Sterling Im- immediately, even in the Edgar fight, like he p- pushed himself to the fence twice in 30 seconds, which it isn't something that you really want to see against a, a really good wrestler, especially like even against someone like Edgar, who wasn't that great of a wrestler anymore. Yeah. It's something where you could give them time to hang on to you. And when your instinct is to like do weird high risk things, it's not the best way to deal with things. But 
against TJ Dillashaw, I'm not sure the ring craft thing is going to be quite as relevant just because most of the no, takedowns probably. we've seen with TJ are like these really slick open space things like the, the takedowns he hit on Lineker and um, like he had some nice back takes against like a Sun Sao and that other guy. Um, <laughs> uh, he ran like a choke somebody. Was it Easton? Vonley. Vonley. Mm-hmm. Did he head kick Easton? I remember he fought Easton. He just beat up Easton in yeah. a lot of ways. He, he took yeah. him down a bunch too. Yeah. So, I mean, TJ, I didn't think he's as much of a cage wrestler as those guys, but it's a, it's an interesting concern when, you know, TJ is going to get like perhaps these clean takedown entries and just put him on his back and San is going to need to like create the momentum for them more so than just like being given a scramble. Mm-hmm. Interesting points. Um, I definitely wanted to talk about TJ's wrestling as, as an idea overall. Um I made a video. I made a video highlighting all of TJ's wrestling and the Ultimate Fighter and the UFC. Um, and my conclusion is that he can wrestle pretty much everywhere. Uh, he's a very good MMA wrestler. He can basically do every single thing that I ask for fighters to be able to do. Uh, he can do all of them. <laughs> he can. He can set up cage wrestling situations. He can chain wrestle on the cage. He can ride on the cage. Um, he, he just so often goes to put boots in, which is what you would say in wrestling, putting hooks in, like taking the back in a traditional way. Once the space is there, which actually makes him more like Gillespie than <laughs> uh, some of the other like cage wrestling guys that you're thinking of. Um, but he hasn't done it in a while, but it's just all situation specific. Like he, he has a really, really deep bag of tricks when it comes to wrestling um, and when it comes to MMA in general. So it's like I, I witnessed in fight after fight after fight that he can do everything that the situation calls for he can wrestle there and the fights that he didn't really wrestle in he didn't need to or it wasn't just something that came up naturally so like his recent fights like garbrandt he trained with garbrandt for a long time he knows cody garbrandt is super hard to wrestle and he also knew how he could beat cody garbrandt in the feet so why would he however in the rematch after he heard him he had for standing on Garbrandt, he put an Iowa ride on. He had the one leg stapled and he had a thigh pry inside the legs to, to keep him from being able to base up and he was punching with the leg. So he put a ride on him. So that's wrestling then uh, just because he didn't take him down. Doesn't mean he didn't wrestle. Um, so he did wrestle Cody Garbrandt actually. And as Jerome has pointed out so elegantly, he wasn't in on that single against Cejudo. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, like Cruz, they wrestled plenty. Um, yeah. They wrestled plenty. Um, it's just Cruz's the best Insane. wrestler in yeah. the history of the division, I would say. Um, so <laughs> that's that's going to be tough to out-wrestle him, but he they were even. They went even on wrestling. So, I mean, he's he's wrestled in every fight where wrestling was relevant, uh, where it came up, and it's like he never stopped. And if you're someone that says, like, oh, it's been forever since he's really wrestled in the fight, he's probably not good at it anymore. That is the wrong person to assume skill degra- degradation for. Like, say everything you want about TJ Dillashaw, like, he, he works really freaking hard and he works on everything and he's a maniac. Um, there's Part no of the way... natural, you might even say. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's all natty. Uh, but there's no way he isn't wrestling his ass off all the time. Like these guys, a lot of, a lot of wrestlers that turn to MMA are sick of wrestling. And once they realize they can strike and it's easier, they're like I just want to do this. And then they stop wrestling. Um, that does happen. Team Alpha Male is not the place where that happens. Um, <laughs> and if you came from Team Alpha Male after all those years, you're not going to stop doing it. Um, and everywhere he went to train subsequently was a really wrestling heavy gym. So 
of course he's still wrestling. Um, and of course he's still good at it. And I don't think he's failed to retain any of the skills he showed in all those fights. I think he can still wrestle against the cage and cage and in chain wrestle, and he can hit reactive shots and he can set up the cool takedown he did on Lineker. Like, I think people remember the Lineker fight. They're like, okay, that's TJ's takedown style. That's the only fight he did that in. It's the only time he's done this. <laughs> it's like, uh, that's a guy that's going to plant my plant his feet and be in front of me. So if I hit this entry, he's going to swing on me and I can level change. So that's a reactive shot, essentially. So reactive shots are good against certain fighters. Cage wrestling is good against other, other fighters. Like there's whatever the situation calls for, right? So if you're thinking about TJ hitting some sort of outside attack, and then you remember that Corey Sandhagen just flying needs someone's face off. You're like, well, yeah, he's going to get his face need off. And that is definitely possible. But I think he 100% has it in him to put a wrestling performance on Corey Sandhagen. He's definitely in his wheelhouse. And Corey Sandhagen being having the scrambling style that is very folk style. Um, this is a college wrestler, you know, <laughs> who does, who trains probably with college wrestlers still. Um, he knows how to deal with leg passing. He knows how to deal with you grand being like, like it's, it's different. It's different than a Brazilian. Um, sorry. Uh, <laughs> it's like, um, so I, I think Corey Sanhagen's takedown defense is being underrated in a way. And I think TJ's wrestling is being underrated simultaneously. Um, so I think it might actually end up being a cool competitive fight, but if it doesn't, it's probably not because TJ blanketed him. It's probably because Sandhagen landed on his chin and hurt him and then killed him. Um, Cause I feel like Corey Sandhagen's a really bad person to be hurt against. Yeah. That's, I think a lot of the ways in which fighters tend to look a bit worse physically off uh, like big layoffs, it's bad against Corey Sandhagen. Like if your tank's not as good, Corey Sandhagen's the kind to take advantage. If you're not mm-hmm. as durable, Sandhagen is the kind to like, he's never going to die. He cuts an insane yeah. amount of weight and somehow he's just like insanely durable. And that's one thing, right? TJ Dillashaw's chin gets underrated a whole lot, but he pretty much marched through most of what Burrell gave him. Uh, Sun Sao tends to back guys off with big counters. He did not back off TJ Dillashaw. Garbrandt is a massive puncher and he landed on Dillashaw, but he didn't put Dillashaw out or anything. Yeah. Dillashaw was like right there in the second round doing the same kind of things. So Dillashaw historically is pretty durable. He's historically just, I mean, uh, it's a weird spot to bring this up, but he's hilariously conditioned. Uh, yeah. But you know, the best never rest, as they say, and you, you do what you have to do, I guess. Uh, but yeah, it's the sort of thing where if TJ is physically a little bit worse than he used to be, he might need to lean on the wrestling a bit more. And that's something that I'd like to see from him just moving forward. Uh, Peter Young looks insanely hard to wrestle. I don't think he really has a shot there, but I don't really know if he has a shot in the striking either. So no. maybe, <laughs> maybe that's a better idea. Uh, and if TJ leans on the wrestling a bit more, it might be something where he can like hold off the attacks to someone like Aljamain Sterling. So yeah. I mean, it'd be a very smart late career adaptation, especially in a fight where in the striking, it kind of feels like one of those fights where the, the guy who does more wins. Um, like, I don't really think either guy is the sort to limit the other guy's offense, which tends to be the way in which you think of beating TJ Dillashaw, Corey Sanhagen, right? It's, uh, you know, counter them and hit them very hard when they come in. So their faints are less convincing and they're less willing to step in hard. Uh, both guys, neither one's a particularly comfortable counterpuncher. Neither one is like, the sort to move around and draw guys into counters. They're more draw your reactions out and hit you very hard. And pretty much most of the defense that they have even is more a function of getting smart offensive reads. 
Uh, Sanhagen, fairly vulnerable in the pocket. We saw that against John Lineker. Uh, but even when he fought someone like Marlon Marias, it was draw out the things that he does and deal with them specifically. And with TJ Dillashaw, it's draw out the stuff that Hennon Burrell yeah. <laughs> does and either deal with them specifically or eat them and just keep punching him because you're crazy and have a stupid chin and the other guy can't take it. Mm-hmm. So it feels like a fight where it's going to be really, really reliant on volume, which I guess it's kind of a reductive read, but I've made it in like an okay way, I think. Yeah, um, I agree. But if that's the case, I think TJ Dillashaw would be very, very well served to wrestle to at least break the pace a little bit, yeah. keep Sanhagen from pressuring. Because, I mean, Sanhagen, and I'd say Asuncao was probably the performance where he looked really good and faced a reasonable amount of uh, resistance, either Asuncao or Lineker. And when it comes to wrestling, it's probably Asuncao. Um, and when it comes to doing the things that he really wants to do, it's probably Asuncao, because Asuncao just kind of backed off and tried to walk him into counters. And Sanhagen pressured from long range. And he dealt with the wrestling in the way that he usually does, which tended to be like three minute scrambles. But if that's the game that Sanhagen wants to play, I think TJ Dillashaw will be very, very well served to wrestle because Sanhagen's going to be there trying to pressure him and put volume on him. And I'm not really like it's it's a weird fight on the feet. It feels like kind of more of a mirror match than it deserves just because both guys are like super volume machines with like Mm -hmm. similar processes. But it's very different in weird ways, too. Yeah, their strike selection is not similar. Yeah. But the concepts that drive their striking are almost identical, um, yeah. which is pretty, pretty cool, actually. Um, yeah, I, pr- I predict a lot of awkward situations where they both switch stances at the same time or, like, <laughs> uh, you know, they you know, both, you know, roll out to the same direction or, or do something similar at the same time. That'll probably be pretty funny. Um, both yeah, drop San- shift and headbutt. Yeah, it's like with TJ, he does do a lot of like moving through space with his jab. Uh, like everything is a drop shift. Like everything is is a shift. Everything is a stance switch. Like everything is, is some sort of sort of advanced. You might not want to call it, but some might call neo it footwork. Ma- neo footwork maneuver. Like <laughs> everything is is something. It's like can't you just be normal for once? Uh, but it's like he does move through space with his jab. Whereas Sanhagen, oh, he's moving, but actually he is the more normal one between them. Because uh, he does do he he does shift. He does switch stances, but he also like will circle and jab which is easier um, and accomplishes almost the same thing. Um, but he'll like circle and jab, but you know, he, he's the one who is more willing to throw like actual throwaway strikes uh, to set up whatever he wants to actually hit. Um, he throws in combination, but it's usually not like multiple strikes in the combination are real. It's like there are throwaways and then the, one of the strikes is the real one, which is uh, how people always talk about the Diaz brothers, but it's actually true this time um because <laughs> with the diaz brothers like most of them are throwaway strikes and even when they're throwing for real that it, it's still kind of a throwaway strike and like i think the the variance of their uh power was uh over overstated uh but with san hagen it's real like he he actually mixes up his uh speeds and and intensities very well uh to set up his combinations the most recent fight of his i watched was lineker i did that this week uh, for bad calls i thought he lost but nonetheless, it was a good performance. Yeah. And it's just tough to draw from that to this because Lineker is someone who's good and dangerous and skilled and physical, but predictable. Um, definitely going to try to walk you down and throw similar types of combinations. And he's going to go hook body and he's going to come up top and he's going to do all these things. And Sandhagen's game plan was very matadory where he was, you know, poking him with this throwaway jab to, to find him and then hit his counters or hit whatever he needs to or back straight out of range where the TJ you don't you definitely don't want to take the back foot right because then he's doing what he wants and if you pressure 
that's probably better. But if you pressure, you're also giving him a little bit more of a read to wrestle. So it's like, I think they both have answers for each other, regardless of approach, uh, which makes it a really cool fight. Just the thing that really makes me feel like maybe it won't turn into the cool fight that it's really should be is like that TJ is the less durable of the two. Um, and he might just get hurt early and put away. And that makes me sad because I think if it plays out the way that it, it could, if they don't, if neither one got knocked out, it would be a really awesome competitive fight where I think uh, TJ might have the edge just because he's the one that can initiate grappling and wrestling. Um, and that that's a huge advantage to have. So yeah, I, I think the pocket exchanges could be pretty interesting because I don't think Sandhagen's like particularly good there. Um, don't think that's the strength of his. He doesn't really like to be there at all, really. I mean, yeah. like he does exchange in the pocket just by virtue of he starts what he's doing and then they become in the pocket while he's doing it and then he just kind of adapts. Uh, whereas CJ, for better or worse, does put himself in the pocket <laughs> fairly often. Uh, and it, his head movement is built into his strikes and it is something predetermined, but it's good. Um, it's typically pretty good. And uh, that's how he knocked out Garbrandt. Um, that's how he messed up Barrow. I mean, it's, it's worked for him a lot. So like, I could see that him actually making some solid connections. Uh, he should definitely go to the body a lot because uh, Lineker got hit like twice with knees for doing that. But that was about it. Um, and I'm sure Sandhagen's adapted and, and changed since the Lineker fight. But it is a read. Um, it's something to do. But it's just like talking about this fight is so annoying because it's like I'm putting work into it. I'm thinking about it. And it's like, is it going to come out and TJ is going to look like shit? He's going to die. And I was like, no, there wasn't even a fight in the first place. Like that would that would suck because this could be really amazing. Right. Yeah, I agree. I think I agree with what you said about the pocket exchanges. I think Sanhagen is kind of more like if he's able to draw out a reaction and like he knows exactly what's going on, he'll duck into the pocket and do some work. Or if his opponent's really hurt, he'll duck into the pocket and do some work. But it's a lot more transitional, right? Like you see um, in the, uh, for instance, like the Arnett fight, where you saw him like crash in with like a big left hook to the body, immediately collapse to the clinch and escape. That was that was some nice stuff. And it's not like the sort of thing where TJ, where like he takes really intentional angles in the pocket, and, like he's swinging from there and trying to really drown his opponent. Uh, it, it's a lot more ephemeral, if you want to put it that way. Um, nice. Yeah, I'm good with the words, uh, much less good with the brain. But yeah, you can see like in fights such as Garbrandt, I think Sanhagen would be like a little bit less equipped to deal with him in the pocket, like specifically. I think Sanhagen would beat him, but it would be more like fainting him from the outside, kicking him a lot, drawing out his reaction to the jab and just not being in the pocket. Where with Dillashaw, he stepped into the pocket, but took an angle and ended up, I think, right hooking him, which is really nice. Um so, yeah, I think, like, extended exchanges are probably TJ's game just based on comfort. But on the outside, I think it's fairly close. It's just that I kind of trust Sanhagen a bit more physically at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think I'd confidently take prime TJ here because I know where his cardio would be at and I know where his chin normally would be at. But I don't know. I've made a habit of picking against fighters on long layoffs. It hasn't gone super well. Like Ortega KZ went kind of poorly because I picked KZ, even though I was like, Ortega should win. And it's kind of the same situation, but it seems like a reliable thing, right? When a guy's off for two years, even if he's working really hard, there's just no way to know how ages hit him. And TJ's 35 now. It's tough for, for a Bantamweight. That's really old. The only guy I've really seen do super well above that age is Rafael Asuncao. And he did not have a, a very volume style. It was the opposite from the beginning of his career. It yeah. was the opposite. 
so if TJ is going to like change completely, it's something, but it depends a lot on a, where he's physically and B what he's been doing in camp. And it feels like it's going to take a lot of assumptions. I have, I guess I have to go with San Hagen, but I really want TJ to pull it off. Yeah. Here, here's an assumption. Uh, so the, the X factor, the thing that is taking me from being really on the fence about this to a slight TJ lean, I'm not going to make a confident prediction on this fight for the reasons that we talked about. I think hedging is appropriate in this case. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to make any sort of confident pick and I'm not going to gloat if it goes, if TJ wins, cause I'm picking TJ, I'm not going to gloat if he wins, I promise. Um, but I will say that I, said he could wrestle him but ever, you know if anyone like sees that tj is a wrestler like oh yeah and they're like oh <laughs> san Hagen got wrestled okay you know so it's not that genius um it's a little bit because i know i know the details so you know I'm, i am i'm better than you but i agree it's okay but here's here's the thing that that makes me think that actually he could uh make it a, a smarter fight for himself tj could uh the kicking matchup so lineker kicked san Hagen for free a decent amount he had a lot, actually a lot of success kicking when he did it um obviously San Higgins a good kicker um a very good kicker but his defense isn't all that and you know who's good at countering kicks TJ Dillashaw so I think the kicking matchup could actually really help him out because now he doesn't have to create all these pocket exchanges to score which is kind of what he needed to do all these like creative entries and pocket exchanges to like if you're thinking about like the cruise fighter for example um you know that's so dangerous <laughs> against someone you really don't want to get hit hard by uh because you're a late career now you can't afford that so typically late career fighters uh who did rely a lot on like volume or athleticism they, be, they become counter punchers um that, that's probably not what tj is going to do uh, I don't think that's a little bit too far of a leap uh, from where he started. Um, but, you know, leaning more on his wrestling, and I think limiting exchanges is the theme. You know, limiting exchanges perhaps by scoring more on the outside as a kicker, encouraging a kicking matchup, and maybe getting to his wrestling based on that. Um, you know, getting into sort of like a low kick battle and, you know, punch through a low kick and hit a takedown off that. Did it to Cruz. Um, has done it a couple times. Uh, it's, it's in his arsenal. So I don't know. I think that could actually make it a lot more doable for him, just lowering the, the percent chance that he's going to end up in some sort of messy exchange that he gets shoveled across the chin. And, yeah. Um, but yeah, that could, that could be something. So I'm going to pick TJ. I have a few reasons why I think he could do well. Um, the reasons why he could not do well are less, but they're big. <laughs> yeah it's the staring sort of, you in the face <laughs> yeah it's the sort of thing where if you pick tj and it ends up being wrong it like even if it was a close fight you might feel like you have egg on your face for like oh. him getting knocked out in a round i never uh, i never have egg on my face <laughs> i hedge too well yeah that's true i mean everyone should hedge for this kind of like it feels like we've talked about it for a long time we still haven't gotten past like san Hagen might get wrestled and this is going to be high volume like it's really tough to tell the dynamic of this one yeah uh but yeah, I mean, the kicking matchup's interesting. I think it's because like a, a lot of guys with like that sort of loose footwork where they're like really switchy, you don't expect them to deal super well with kicks because they're not in a good position off a lot of the time to like turn their knee out to check or like step through it with counters. And a lot of it's, it's very movie. A lot of lateral movement means that they're going to be walking into kicks. But against perhaps the best kicker in the division at one time, Marlon Moraes, Sanhagen had a good idea on dealing with the kicks. Like when Moraes tried to like counter kick, he was fainting it out and stepping back. I don't mm -hmm. think he ever like really countered it. And when he got hit hard by a kick, he got hit hard by a kick but i don't know like it feels like that was more of a mariah specific adaptation like i don't know if he's expecting tj to fight the same way and like 
I don't know. It's a weird fight. Like Mariah's just kind of gave him the sort of general dynamic he wanted. And at, at that point, the specific tool you're using, it doesn't matter quite as much if that makes sense. Well, now I'm visualizing Sandhagen encountering him in a manner of ways. So uh, <laughs> thanks for that. But I'm going to stand by what I said. Uh, yeah, I think it's definitely fair. I'm no coward, but <laughs> that's definitely a good point. So this matchup has a lot to talk about and maybe none of it will end up mattering, which is fun. Um, the rest of this card has a few like matchups worth talking about. They're not amazing, but I have interest in several of them. Uh, not the co-main event, but before that, uh, Halion Paiva up at Bantamweight is fighting Kyler Phillips, who just beat Song Yidong. Is that who yep. he beat? Yeah. Um, so how are you feeling? I know you like Halion Paiva because he's a Southpaw guy. I think he's orthodox, actually. But he's a double attack guy, orthodox double attack. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he did it to Jaga Shumagulov, who's a southpaw and very small. But yeah, uh, Holly and Pyle is lots of fun. Uh, he was down at flyweight, where I think it's probably better for him in terms of like competitiveness. It just he can't make the weight, so obviously. But mm-hmm. yeah, huge flyweight, very jabby, very right handy, fun combination punching in the pocket. He really beat up Kai Kara France. Like that fight, uh, the fact that Pyle lost it is awful just one of the worst decisions i've seen in a long time um but yeah he's lots of fun uh against jumagulov he did a lot of fun kicking work too where he was like able to draw out jumagulov's blitzes with like fainting the kick and then kicking him for real um but he's not all that defensively and i feel like the range edge is going to matter a lot like there were a lot of points against kaikar france where he was just walking in with his face up and got like hit with a big overhand um i don't really rate Kyler Phillips, as much as a lot of people do, I think he's like fine, but his striking isn't amazing. When he, I didn't was... know people even know who that was. Oh yeah, like there are I a barely, lot of. People... I barely know who he is. <laughs> he's a good wrestler. Uh, he does like uh, the sort of shifty entries he does on the striking, kind of hides his wrestling really well. Okay. But pretty much all the things he does are like these huge shifts from distance, or like a jab that's not really all that great. Uh, Song Yadong was right hand countering him over the top. Like the only reason I even watched Kyler Phillips was because he was supposed to fight Hafiel Asuncao on this card. So I'm like, how worried should I be? Uh, and I mean, I should be pretty worried because he's a good athlete. Uh, he hits reasonably hard. Uh, he drives a good pace. I mean, he gassed out a little bit against Song Yadong, but you know, it's like at the very end of the fight. So like, fair enough, Asuncao's tank is probably worse. Um, but he did get right hand counterpunched a lot which gives me a little bit of hope in that matchup against Paiva. I'm not sure. Like, it's a weird fight. I don't know if we've really seen Paiva deal with a consistent wrestling threat. Uh, Rogerio Bontarine is like a really dedicated control wrestler, and I think he got him down, but there was like a wild scramble where he got his face cut off. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, it's a weird fight. I, I think Paiva might be the better striker, like technically. It's just that with a guy who covers a lot of distance on what he's doing and can hit hard and is bigger than anyone you faced recently. I don't know if he has the margin to actually win. Yeah. Uh, the rest of the main card is terrible, um, but the prelims have some stuff. Yeah. Uh, Punahile Soriano, Soriano, who I like six times I have been like, is this the guy who was like a banger? And then he actually ended up being a pretty decent wrestler. I think, I think it's this guy one but i don't it's it's super racist honestly because yeah, the there's another story using are like polynesian people with like tattoos that like all kind of fight the same like i'm sorry that i can't differentiate them like one uh, i'll get it i'll get it eventually but i know it, i know it's bad that i can't figure that out it might be him he's fighting brendan allen who uh is like a pretty decent grappler and like oh not kind of well-rounded uh but he got with hoofed 
pretty recently, I think. So uh, yeah, maybe. it was ruthless, right? That's a mm-hmm. big upgrade. Oh, that's a that's a crazy switch. Um, it's like opposites, but <laughs> uh, I don't know. So I have my eye on that one just because it's uh, middleweight is not good, but they got some guys I don't mind watching. Um, there's like a very solid tier of middleweights who like are just they're good, they're good enough to watch, and they're it's a very physical division. There's a lot of athletes, and I think that makes it a lot more watchable. And a lot of them are uh, training with Henry Hoof, so <laughs> that helps too. Um, this isn't really an interesting fight, but I'm kind of intrigued. Uh, Ian Heinish, also at Hooft, um, <laughs> which I think is, is brilliant uh, yeah. for him because he is kind of a formless uh, ball of potential. Um, and he's fighting Nasruddin Imbov. So Imbov is a French you know, fighting out of France. I think he's Dagestani. I'm not sure. He's not a wrestler grappler at all. Uh, he's a striker. Um, but I think he was counterpunching uh, Phil Hawes and then in between counterpunching him, he was getting held on the fence. It was this crazy, hectic thing to see if he could find enough time off the fence to, to hurt him. And he was hurting him every time he got off the fence. It was the most annoying fight to watch ever. Um, but Ian Heinish, obviously a big wrestler. Um, with Hoof, he's going to get some decent fundamentals and use his attributes uh, better than he has been. So I'm thinking that uh, he's going to win that fight, but it'd be kind of cool if he got countered and knocked out because uh our friend uh caucasus warrior uh dagestani propaganda he he likes him because he lives in france and he's from dagestan so uh, i like when my friends are happy and yeah i respect that the main event of the prelims uh is randy costa versus adrian yanez i think a lot of people um are interested in this fight because they're really hype on yanez and i think they're decently hype on costa and both of them are on twitter and they interact with the fans a lot and it's, they're going to strike. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't have a great read on Costa, mostly because the only fight I watched of him was like the really short uh, Journey Newsom fight. And uh, he's a good kicker he, and he hits the body. Yeah. And, and the uh, Brandon Davis fight, where I think it was like super short notice and he gassed out and lost, which is like fair enough. Yeah. Um, I have a much better read on Giannis. Uh, he seems to have like this nice cross counter, does fun intercepting counters, uh, does a nice job. Actually, he's a fairly solid kicker, at least in terms of like, the structure of his overall game where he uses like this lead leg kick to walk guys onto his cross counter. Um, but the Gustavo Lopez fight was both really impressive and kind of weird because when Lopez got the most scared and started just going southpaw and not doing anything, Yanez didn't really push his advantage, which kind of makes me concerned when he moves up the division. I'm not really sure that Costa is the guy to take advantage of it. Uh, I think Yanez is probably just flat better, but it's something to watch. I think it's it's definitely going to be a fun fight. I mean, both guys are reasonably entertaining. Costa in particular just kind of runs forward and feeds himself in the counter sometimes. Uh, so it's something. Like, I, I like Yanez more. I think he's cleaner. And yeah. I think he has a higher ceiling. But Costa is definitely something. And uh, our, our buddy Trayvon, who's from Houston, told us that uh, Adrian Yanez is actually a grappler uh, <laughs> at, at base, which makes this whole thing uh, much more interesting. Yeah. Uh, just in terms of his prospect development that you don't have to worry about that as much. Like at least like, even if he's like getting away from it a little bit, if like it happens that he like takes a prospect loss where he gets grappled, like, you know, that it's not going to be he's a long a road sentence. to, yeah, yeah. To, to recover that. Um, but yeah, that's a cool fight. I, I like that. I like that a lot. And Yanez looks and fights a lot like lightweight Masvidal, <laughs> which is uh nice. It's a nice throwback. So yeah. that's a cool fight and fights like boy. Uh, Julio Arce is making his Bantamweight debut, I believe, versus yep. Andre Ewell, who is pretty much exclusively an outfighting boxer. 
and Julio Arce, also a boxer, also outfights a bit. So I'm uh, curious to see how he approaches that. Yeah, it's really funny because this is Arce's first fight down a weight class after getting kind of big. He's fighting the biggest dude there. <laughs> yeah, he's fighting a dude with 155 proportions in his first mm-hmm. fight at 135. It's madness. But it's weird because both of them do kind of play like a similar game, you know, jab straighty from Southpaw. But Arce, I think, does it a lot better. Uh, Ewell doesn't really have defense. A lot of it's just length. Uh, Irwin Rivera uh, was able to um, shift in and do a lot of damage. Uh, not not a ton of damage. You will won that fight clearly, and the fact that it was a split is kind of awful. Uh, he put a ton of volume on Rivera on the outside, but when it got to the inside, like inside the range of his own straights, it did not go well for Ewell. Um, right. And in comparison, Julio Arce, he's genuinely a very, very good fighter. Like in terms of Bantamweight, I think he'd do fairly well. We've seen him grapple before. He's solid. I don't know how much he's done of wrestling, but at least Dan Ige was a committed, strong wrestler when he fought him and didn't really get anywhere. So that's something. Um, and as a striker, he's fantastic. Uh, a lot of what he does is just, you know, jab straighty from Southpaw like Ewell, but he's a lot more diligent about his defense, uh, gets behind his shoulder super well, proactive head movement, like dips and sidesteps and such. Uh, does he actually, so he's one of the few Southpaws like really bothers to cover that outside step really, really well. Cause, um, in a lot of Southpaw Orthodox guys, they just kind of like step outside and they just throw the straight, uh, Julio Arce like takes these like clever angles and like turns his opponents. And there are a lot of there's a lot of nuance to what he does. And I think in exchanges, he's going to be the by far more polished guy. Uh, And we've seen him beat bigger guys before. Like Julian Arosa looked twice his size and he head kicked him. Yeah. So yeah, I think Julio Arce is someone to be excited about if he's still who he was. It's been like what a year and a half since we've seen him, which sucks. You know, Hakeem Dawadu was, that was a good fight, but it was an obviously tough opponent for his style. Yeah. So uh, Julio Arce should be something that's, uh, or at least Andre Ewell rather uh, should be an opponent who's a little bit, easier for him to look good against especially since like since he's a lead hand heavy as a southpaw it's something that should help him in a close stance matchup unless you know it just completely throws him off for some reason which would be a funny inversion but mm-hmm. yeah i'm hoping Arce does well and you know beats up cody garbrandt later <laughs> worthy of note that nathaniel would uh i would say similarly proportioned to to Arce and less skilled uh pulled out a, a really bad fight from Yule on the feet before he yeah. ended up taking him down and beating him on the ground. And he just did it by like fainting his entries and staying just outside and making Yule lead and then starting his combinations that way and, and did really well with that and counter kicked him. So uh, maybe if Arce watches that fight, he could probably replicate that game plan pretty well, but it's possible that Yule is also improving, but I just kind of see him as the victim here. Um, just because that's yeah. kind of been his role. <laughs> in the yeah, and, I enjoy watching Yule when he's doing his thing offensively. Like he's clever offensively. Uh, he does like some fun shifting stuff sometimes, and he's like fast. Uh, he's like bantamweight Michael Johnson, grappling <laughs> issues included. But yeah, Arce seems like the much better fighter here. Yeah, no bias, definitely not. Um, but yeah, so that card will be good, and then it's going to be bad, and then it's going to be really good at the end. So. I would say watch from the beginning and then maybe take a break and then, and then come back for the, for the uh, last three fights, even though the co-main isn't good. Uh, but yeah, so that, that is it. Um, not really any other important events on the horizon, but next week we're going to talk Bellator, which I'm sure you're all very excited about. And uh, we got Patreon questions and we got other stuff to do and, Maybe we'll have a guest on and we'll find a way to make that week more interesting because the UFC card is atrocious. Yeah. 
You got um, any uh, closing remarks? Not really. I don't really have anything to plug other than this. Uh, go to the site, you know, watch the videos, pay us. Uh, go to the Patreon, $3 for all the content we mentioned at the beginning. Um, and yeah, I mean, the summer's kind of dire, but we'll get through it together. Yeah, yeah. Uh, two episodes of Bad Calls this week. Uh, Sanhagen Lineker is already out on Patreon and podcast platforms but the video is on patreon and i've been making it harder for you podcast only people by doing some back and forths and some slow motions and doing some adding some more breakdown components to it uh you jerks so you have to go watch the video now and uh tomorrow probably not tomorrow you know today that this is being released um i'll put out a dillashaw cruise bad calls which was a robbery so find out why it was not just a bad call but a robbery um stay tuned for that but yeah um the end goodbye